Welcome to Warning Signs. Glory. The last statement of that promo always says, and I've brought it up several times during this series, and by the way, we're getting close to the end of this series. We, this has been our fall series. Have you enjoyed Warning Signs up to this point? I'm glad because that might change after today for some of us. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you a couple of disclaimers, a couple of warning signs before we get started this morning. Um, one is I, I put more work, more time into this message than I have probably in about a decade of any sermon. That means two things. One is it's deeply personal to me, and it's going to be a long one. It's that simple. I, I, I'm not even going to apologize. If you have to get up and go, listen, I, 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 I understand. I do. I'm, I'm just I'm going to get it all out because I have a second part I have to preach tonight. So I'm going to get it all out. Number two uh, disclaimer is if you're one of these people that like to follow along in the Bible, I'm going to encourage you to do two things. Number one, just write the scriptures down or take pictures of it because I'm going to use so much scripture this morning, you're not going to be able to get to the place where I'm speaking on now and then get back because I'm going to be I'm going to be in the New Testament and then the Old Testament and then somewhere in between the Testaments and you're just you're you probably won't have time to catch up so I would encourage you just to jot the scriptures down and read them later or take pictures of them as a lot of people do while they're on the screen okay so this is a journey that we've been on now this is part nine of warning signs uh, one of the disclaimers or one of the the promos that we use at the end of that introduction is the only sign that will hurt you is the one you refuse to read and follow. And up until this point, we have been talking about David uh, and his life. Now, this morning's message is called, This is a Test. Warning, this is a test. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. Warning, this is a test. Tonight's message is going to be, This is a test also. And I'm going to be talking this morning about the spirits of the age that we're living in. Uh, no doubt what I'm going to talk about is going to make some people in this room uncomfortable. I understood that. For weeks I have known this. I've known this sermon was coming. I've prayed over this sermon. I've been addressing it in my spirit, been asking the Holy Spirit to address it in yours. Before I even begin this morning, I want to pray about that. Because there's some people in this room, this is going to shake some of the things that you have been accustomed to, and you have acclimated your soul into a place of complacency that I have asked the Holy Spirit to jerk you out and set you right before you leave this place this morning. That's what I've asked of heaven. Because truth is, this is a test, and you'll understand that in a little bit. Would you... Would you stretch your hands toward me this morning and pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, I'm asking that this morning every stronghold be broke down, that every stumbling block of offense would be removed, and that your people would have ears to hear, that they would have a spirit of acceptance to your word, oh God. Not my words, not any ideas I have, but God, your word. We need you, and we need you in these last days. We need you to strengthen us. We need you to guide us. We need you to set us right so that we are able to help those that are far from you find you. God, help us at, with pinpoint accuracy locate those things inside of us that needs to change and give the Holy Spirit the ability to reveal them to us and us the ability to turn from them 
and walk towards you. In Jesus' name, I pray and I ask these things. And the church says, amen. If I'm going to give your attention now to the timeline, we've been using this every week. This week, David is in 993 B.C. He is crowned the king of Judah. Now, what I want you to pay attention to about this is if you go all the way back to 1025 B.C., that was when David was first anointed as the king. He's been waiting a long time. Sometimes God's promises takes longer than you want them to. David was anointed the king all the way back here, but this week that prophecy begins to start happening. I say begins because it's going to happen in two parts. What you need to understand about 993 B.C. is Saul, who has been king, is now dead. We are coming out of a war with the Philistines. Saul is dead. Jonathan, who was Saul's son and David's best friend, is also dead. Two other of Saul's children, his sons, were also killed on the same battlefield, as was Saul's armor bearer. This was a bad loss for Israel. They lost a lot of lives to the hands of the Philistine army. Even Samuel the prophet by this point is dead. And David was anointed king years ago. But this week, here in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2, that prophecy is going to begin to come to pass. 2 Samuel 2 verse 4. Then the men of Judah came to David and anointed him king over the people of Judah. I need to give you a disclaimer here. This is the first time we see the kingdom of Israel split. Up until now, it's just been Israel. Up until now, it's been the 12 tribes. It's been all one unit. But if you notice in this scripture, it says David was anointed the king over the people of Judah. That's the southern part of Israel. David is anointed the king of Judah, and he goes to Hebron and makes Hebron the capital where he's going to put his palace. But there's a man named Abner, and Abner was the commander in Saul's army, okay? Saul is dead. Saul's children, for the most part, have been killed. Saul has lost the kingdom because he was unfaithful to God. He consulted a witch, and God took the kingdom from him and give it to David. But Abner wasn't ready to let go of Saul. So Abner found another one of Saul's existing sons by the name of Ishbosheth. And he went to Ishbosheth and he anointed him. He proclaimed him to be the king over the north. So now we have two kings and two kingdoms. Are you following me? Listen, I know most of the time when I preach, I really drill down because I need you to get it. I'm not going to have time to do that this morning. It's going to be long enough as it is. So I hope you pay attention. I hope you grasp the concepts because I can't ever circle back to them. There's two kings, two kingdoms. 2 Samuel chapter 3 tells us this, verse 1. That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. I'm going to say that first part again. A long war between those who were loyal to Saul 
and those who were loyal to David. Saul was the king that the people wanted. Saul lost the kingdom. Because no matter what people want, God is always in charge. Saul was the people's choice, but David was anointed to take over. Saul held a position, but David was anointed. The people had to choose sides. A civil war broke out between the ones who were loyal to the king that the world wanted and the ones that were loyal to the anointed king. So there's a king that the world wants. That's the first point of the outline if you're up there in the media booth. Uh, that that the, A civil war broke out between the ones who were loyal to the king that the world wanted and the ones that were loyal to the anointed king. There's two kings and two kingdoms. And everyone that's part of these two kingdoms has to decide which king they were going to be loyal to. Now I'm going to put all of these points on the screen at the same time. Make no mistake, in the present world, your loyalty will be tested. You will be forced to choose sides. I have come this morning with the understanding that you can no longer be, in 2023, a complacent Christian. You are going to be forced to choose sides. I saw it in 2020, not just in the spirit, but in the physical realm. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt now that you can no longer be in the world and of the world and serve God's kingdom. You will be forced to choose sides. You and I are caught in a war of the worlds. This is where we are this morning. Matthew chapter 24, the disciples come to Jesus Verses 3 through 8. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all of this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? How many of you know we're closer now than we were then? Jesus told them, verse 4, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. They will deceive many. They won't deceive a few. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yet these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. And kingdom... Hello? And kingdom against... Uh, so nations are at war right now. There's one happening in Ukraine. There's one happening in the Gaza Strip. There's, there's, there's nations fighting against nations, but kingdoms will also collide. Kingdoms are also going to go to war. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with many more to come. Two kings, two kingdoms. How did we get here? Why is Jesus 2,000 years ago telling his disciples that this is what the world's going to look like? Famines, earthquakes, there's going to be wars and, and pestilence. And why, How did we, a world that was created so perfect in Genesis chapter 3, 
How did we get here? Why is the world so messed up? Why, why? Jesus did not proclaim in the last days you will see uh, deers running through the street. You, you, you won't see people handing out $100 bills. He didn't say that you'll see a pretty girl who loves every ugly boy. He didn't say any of that. He said this is what the last days will look like. War. Pestilence. Disease. You're going to wish you weren't part of it. How did we get here? I'm glad you asked. We're going to go and read a, a large section of a small book. It's one of Jesus' brothers. His name is Jude. And we're going to start in Jude 3. You say, Pastor, what chapter? And I say, you need to read your Bible more. Jude 3. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. Uh-huh. Hear me, church. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to His holy people. The King James says you got to contend for the fight, faith. you got to fight. Listen, if Jude didn't think that you could lose it, he wouldn't tell you to fight for it. If he was not anticipating that in the last days somebody was going to try to steal your faith, he wouldn't tell you you got to fight for it. He said you got to defend the faith. That God has entrusted once in all time for His holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Hear me. Ungodly people coming into churches. And what do they do? What do they do in 2023? Saying that God's marvelous gra grace allows us to live immoral life. People have wormed into God's church. Taken and hijacked the word and told his people that you can live immorally. This is a warning sign. Pay attention. This is a test. Saying God's marvelous grace allows you to live. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus was first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later He destroyed those who did not remain faithful. That's not very tolerant, Jesus. That's not very inclusive. Do you hear what He said? He said He destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you, this is, this is my first point of the kingdoms that we're against. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. Where did they belong? Worshiping God. Where did they belong? With humility. Where did they belong? With sacrifice of praise. And they left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So let's first talk about the fallen angels. I know I've already preached for 16 minutes, and some of you are already saying, how, how long is this going to be? A long time. Because I'm just now getting to how we got here. Fallen angels. What he's describing is that those that were cast out of heaven as angels became demons. They once worshiped around the throne in God's kingdom, but he cast them down. And they became demons. How does an angel become a demon? One way. 
when they refuse to humble themselves to God. Their rebellion stemmed from the fact that they were proud, not humble. I'm saying a whole lot already. Some of you are waiting on me to make points. I just made a big one. Angels became demons because they would not humble themselves. So welcome to the origin of the second kingdom. Up until this point, there had been one kingdom. It was God and His kingdom. And all the created beings worshipped God. They sang holy, holy, holy. And they exalted and lifted Him up. Heaven was the only reality up until the pride of the angels got them cast out of heaven. And once one-third of the angels got kicked out of heaven, they established another kingdom. Two kings, two kingdoms. So allow me, if you will, to point out how these angels came to become demons. And you need to know that demons are still at work around you. I need to emphasize something to you before I get started this morning because the entirety of the rest of my marriage, or my marriage, <laughs> is based on demonic attack. I'm telling you, this message is a struggle. <laughs> Wait till I get home, that's right. The entirety of the rest of my Message is going to be based on the idea that there are demons at work in this kingdom. Which happens to be where you live. It happens to be where you get your communications from most of the time. It happens to be where you interact with this thing called the flesh. And because there are demons all around you, they are a powerful influence on the culture where you live. Two kingdoms, two kings. And the, you know the existence of God's kingdom, but let's be honest, it's not a reality. What's real to us, you have to believe in that kingdom through faith. But what you see is not what we read. Because this kingdom don't look like that kingdom. It doesn't act like that kingdom. It's another kingdom. Look at your neighbor and say, it's another kingdom. Uh -huh. It's not tangible. That's, why, that's what Paul meant when he said, when you fight, you do not fight carnal. Your weapons are not of the flesh. Because your war is not here. It's a spirit war. So demons become possible because angels become proud. Two kings, two kingdoms. Demons are proud. And because they are proud and they have influence, the people they have influence over becomes proud. So the kingdom of this world exalts pride. They celebrate pride. This kingdom has a whole month where they celebrate 
pride. We don't have a humility month. But they have a pride month. If you're curious about the values of this kingdom where you live, we have one day a year dedicated to the soldiers that lost their lives defending our freedom. But we celebrate pride for an entire month. So the demons fell because they would not accept their place humbly. And because they rule this kingdom, we are seeing the same things happening all around us. Demons are arrogant. And because they have influence in this culture, arrogance rules the day. And arrogance is demonic. Oh, I thought I might get more than two amens, but I got two. The kingdom of this world rebels against all authority because arrogance has ruled the day. Where humility should rule, arrogance has stepped in. Children are being taught to dishonor their, their parents. Students are in total rebellion to their teachers. Employees are rebellious against their employers and everybody wants to fight the cops. Because arrogance has taken the place of humility. And in fact, this is exactly what Paul told Timothy was going to happen in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, look at your neighbor and say, we're here. Mm -hmm. There will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. Uh -huh. They will be boastful and proud. Let's have a whole month to celebrate what we scoff at God about, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride. Pride. Do you see how many times Paul warned about the last days being full of pride? And now they have their own flag. And the last days would be full of pride. That's not a virtue, it's a vice. Mm. Puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. And they were act religious, but they would reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So, two kings, two kingdoms, and Paul just gave you the characteristics of the kingdom where you live, where I live, where you're raising kids, where you're guiding grandchildren. So, let's talk about how the demons were led because they used to be angels. Where did they catch this pride from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about the chief of all the fallen angels, and his name is Lucifer. Now, Lucifer's name means angel of light. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us that in heaven he led the choir. If you were here several months ago, I did a sermon about him. I did an illustrated sermon about him. And his, when he would move, the jewels of his body would radiate God's glory all over heaven. When he moved his body, he made beautiful sounds. He led worship. But not only did he lead worship, he reflected glory. This was his job in heaven. But the problem was, after a while, 
He got sick and tired of nobody recognizing how special he was. He was always directing attention away from himself toward God. And he didn't like that. So he became what the Bible calls the adversary. Mm. And some people say the enemy of God is the devil. Oh, nay, nay. God has no enemies. Because when you have no equal... You can't have an enemy when you have no equal. No, no, no. The devil is not God's enemy. He's your enemy. He is your adversary. He stands in opposition to... mm, And there's a reason behind that. First of all, let me tell you what he can't do. Because the devil, unlike God, is limited. He can't be everywhere all the time. He can't read your mind. Sometimes the devil don't have any idea what you're thinking until you open your big fat mouth and tell him. So, <laughs> but let me tell you what he does have, okay? He has a lot of helpers. And not just the one-third of the angels that fell out of heaven. No, no, no. He has allies in this kingdom that look like you. He has a lot of allies in this kingdom that are in your family. That work where you work. That go to church where you... How can you tell if someone is aligned with the king, two kings, two kingdoms? How can you tell if someone is aligned with the kings of this kingdom instead of the king of glory? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8. He was talking to some Jews... The Jews had started believing in him and getting saved. And he drops this famous quote, John 8 and 31. He said to the Jews who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Mm -hmm. If you keep doing what my word says, you're my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you... Okay, so... They started arguing with Jesus saying, we are Abraham's descendants. What do you mean free? We've always been free. Which on the surface is ridiculous. Because do you remember, remember 420 years of Egyptian bondage? It's as if they forgot that they've not always been free. But, but, but that's not even what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about slaves to sin. And he tells them, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Yes, yes, yes. Verse 39, they answered and said, Abraham is our father. Now pay attention to what Jesus rebukes them here. He says, if you're Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, And heard from God. Abraham did no such things. Now listen to verse 41. Listen, 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 listen. Because some of you are not going to like this. And you're going to get sideways with me. And you're going to get upset that I'm telling you the truth. But verse 41 says, You do the deeds of your... And it's not capitalized. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. 
The only Father we have is God Himself. Jesus said to them, If God was your Father, you would love me. Because I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your Father. Who? The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. What had Jesus just told him about the truth? If you know the truth, it will make you free. But he says, the reason they are of their father, the devil, is because they don't hold to the truth. Because anytime you hold to the truth, it will make you free. But when you reject the truth, you stay in bondage. And I don't care how many church services you go to a week. I don't care how many online Christian classes you take. If you don't hold to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you can stay bound. You can be a believer and be an addict. You can be a believer and be in sexual perversion. You can be a, an addict. You, you can be a believer and be trapped because you believe in something, but you haven't held to it. It's quiet in here, I know. He's not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So here we are in 2023, and Lucifer's got a lot of kids running around. And some of them are in pulpits. And some of them are on praise teams. And some of them you have on your uh, playlist on Apple and some of them you subscribe to their newsletters and some of them you send offerings to and some of them you're married to. Satan's got a lot of kids running around or I'm reading this Bible incorrectly. Because how do you know whether or not they're aligned with the wrong king? Because Jesus said, you act just like your daddy. Liars and murderers. So when people stand in pulpits and tell their churches, Messages that contradict the truth. They are a liar. Because let God be true and every man a liar. When people tell people it's okay to murder, they're acting just like their daddy. Because Lucifer acts this way. Look how Paul describes the same idea in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Two kings, two kingdoms, right? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Now the King James Version says it like this, the prince of the power. In other words, he's in this kingdom, but you can't see him. He's all around you. He's doing stuff. He's influencing his children. I thought we were all God's children. That's because you listen to liars. That's because you've been to too many funerals where they always preach everybody into heaven. There's more lies told at funerals than the Congress. I've never been to one funeral where somebody stood up and said, well, I know they're in hell today. And I'm not even saying that that's the appropriate message, but they didn't all make it to heaven. 
Because wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. Hmm. Listen to what he says. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. In other words, he is actively working in the hearts of people who disobey this book. Look around at the times. Look around at the world. Look around at this kingdom. Is some of this starting to make sense now? Why the headlines say what they say? Jesus was casting out devils in the synagogue, and the Pharisees got mad and said, He got his power from the devil. Jesus is casting out devils, and they said, Well, he's, he gets his power from Beelzebub. And Jesus looks at him and says, You dummy. That's, that's the Appalachian version. You won't find that in the King James. He says, You bunch of dummies. That's his Fred Sanford anointing. You big dummy. He said, Satan has a kingdom. And how can Satan cast out Satan? He said in verse 24, he said, A kingdom divided against itself, a kingdom divided in a civil war, can't stand. So he said, there's no way for me to rebuke somebody I'm on their same team. Are you beginning to see now why some churches can't cast no devils out? Why some people's prayers aren't being answered? Because you can't cast out what you are in alignment with. Mm. I'm not going to get no help in here. Two kings, two kingdoms. So he is your adversary. And the reason, if you were here a few months ago when I preached on this, the reason that he's your adversary is because his old job description is now your position. He was the worship leader of heaven. Now that's what you have been hired to do. You have been put here to give God glory and to magnify praise unto him. So stay with me because I'm building something. So in other words, he opposes worship. Because he used to lead it, now he hates it. So the whole point of his adversarial, uh, visceral venom towards you is because he hates or stands in opposition of worship. When Isaiah saw the seraphim flying around God's throne, this is what they cried, holy, holy, holy. And he said, the whole earth is full of his you know why the whole earth is full of His glory? Not because everybody's saved, but because when God looks at you, He sees Himself. Because you were made in His image and His likeness. So when He looks at the earth, He sees His creation. The Bible says God created us to display His glory. He made you to display His glory. Isaiah 43 and 7 tells us that. So Satan hates God's creation. He hates the creation that God made. Why? Because we replaced him. And he hates God receiving glory because he himself wants to be praised. Mm -hmm. He will do whatever it takes to shut down praise and glory given to God. And since he can't fight God, he fights the creation. 
That landed. Not only does he oppose worship, he also hates what you and I can do. He also hates what you and I can do. His name meant light bearer because he brought the glory of God to heaven. But you and I were created in God's image. We were created to display his glory. Hello? We took the position he got fired from. He created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. He created us so he could display his glory. And the devil hates what you do. And he hates praise going back. So what's he going to do? He's going to try to confuse the identity of anyone magnifying glory and honor back to God. Is it starting to make sense now why there's so many people in this generation who's wanting to switch their identities and choose another gender? Is somebody in this building with me? Does it make any sense to you now why all of a sudden, and I don't even have time to put the charts up here, why from generation, when you go from the boomers and then down to the Gen X and then the Gen Y and the Gen Z, does it make sense to you now why this Gen Z generation and the generation coming behind them, we have spiked from 7% of the population saying that they uh, uh, are, are uh, sexually uh, oriented toward the other sex or transgendered uh, up to almost 30% of that generation. Why? Because the enemy wants to confuse you about who you are because who you are was made man and woman and made in his image and likeness to reflect his glory back to him. I told you, this is the week I get canceled. There are going to be mean tweets about me this week. Y'all got to have my back, all right? He reflects the glory back to his creator. She reflects the glory back to her creator. And the devil wants to come along and say, you're not that. Change what you are. How can you change what you were created to be? But people are confused. I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper into that because the Bible, what did Jesus call him? A murderer and a... Yeah, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he happens to be the king of this kingdom. Two kings, two kingdoms. And this generation, the liar, is causing great deception. Much confusion. He is sending deceiving spirits. Seducing spirits. Making people question fundamental things that even a toddler understands. You mean to tell me that after all these years of human existence, now we don't know whether it's a boy or it's a girl? We've been getting along pretty good for about 6,000 years. And now we're going to start letting kids decide which one they want to be sometime. No, we figured that out a long time ago. You pick them up, you say, that's a boy. Maybe I'm too simple because I grew up on the farm, but that's how we did it. 
When, when Mama Heifer had her calf, we knew immediately what it was. We didn't wait till it grew up to say, what do you identify as? So, so, after all these years, after all this human existence of us procreating and, and replicating and seed, making more seed, now we're confused about things that have been long established. Why do you think the devil wants you to be confused about things that were settled a long time ago. Because if you don't even understand the difference between man and woman, if he can tear those foundational beliefs down, you'll fall for anything. You'll believe his lies about God, about human existence, and about anything else. Because if you don't even know the difference between male and female, he can deceive you into believing anything. Two plus two is still four. And I don't care how many tweets they put out from Congress that we're going to have uh, feelings dictate math. Math is math. And gender is gender. And you were created in the image of your creator. And he did it for a purpose. And you have a purpose. Don't let the liar deceive you into believing you don't have a purpose. So, 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 so we're going we're gonna to go through, and I told you it's going to be a long one. We're going to go through the loyalty tests. Because there's two kings and there's two kingdoms. And a great long civil war broke out between those that were loyal to the anointed king and those that were anointed to the king they wanted. So there's some loyalty tests. Are you ready? Say yes. Are you doing okay? Are you totally uncomfortable? Okay. The first test is are you too close? We're going to go back to the book of Jude. Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 7. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled, catch this, with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Welcome to the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two kings, two kingdoms. The Bible says that they were absolutely committed to sexual perversion. There were no boundaries and nothing was off limits. I apologize if you have a little one in here because I'm about to get a little bit graphic, but I have to because the Bible has taken me there. Do you understand what the Bible means when it says that there were no boundaries? Nothing was off limits? Now here's what the Bible says about Sodom and Gomorrah. God waited patiently for them to repent. And then... He sent a nuclear strike. Okay, now the problem is, there was a man there named Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And Genesis 13 and 12 says this, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, which is where he was supposed to. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So every morning when he opened his tent flaps, he saw, a wicked and a perverse generation doing what wickedness and perversion does. His children were exposed to debauchery who knew no limits and no bounds. Now there is no way that I can wrap my mind around why a follower of God chooses to pitch their family tent toward Sodom and away from God. Oh, there was a good deal on on. 
property down at the brothel section of Sodom. And God doesn't want to destroy Lot, but he's going to destroy the city. And the Bible says he sends angels. Now here's what you need to know about angels. Angels are male. Always. They're masculine. They're men. And God sent angels to rescue Lot and his family. Hold that in your brain. Here's what we know about Lot. He's a lot of problems. He's a lot of drama. He's a lot of stupidity. And he's a lot of foolishness. Lot is a lot. And these cities were so depraved that the Bible says that after they saw these male angels go into Lot's house, here's what happens in Genesis 19, verse 4 and 5. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we may know them carnally. Do you, did you notice that the Bible says both old and young? These are little boys that have been abused by older men who have been groomed to participate in what their kingdom considers normal. When you pitch your tent in the direction of a broken, depraved kingdom, there is no limits to what humans will do when you pitch your tent away from God. And this same spirit, this same pressure is alive today. This kingdom is attempting to sexualize children and make depravity normal. When the disciples asked Jesus what would be the signs of his coming back, Jesus said that the world would look like it did in the days of Lot. And he says, likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built it. Let me tell you my experience as a pastor. I have watched people who were holiness people through and through. They were raised in the church. They believed in the holiness lifestyle. Raised their families in church. And then one of their children goes off to college or one of their children grows up and that child decides that they're not going to live like mom and dad. They have a same-sex attraction. They want to live an alternative lifestyle. Maybe they want to switch from one gender to another gender. And I have seen the entire family relinquish their beliefs and give up what they used to stand for and follow the trend and the feelings of that child or that brother or that sister instead of following the Word of God. Because this kingdom encourages kids to take hormones, to change their gender, mutilate their bodies. And we have a generation coming behind us full of confused children, confused about what they were created to be. But the Word says we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We were made in God's powerful 
image, male and female. So let's diagnose the sickness. Why would people who supposedly love the Lord and go to church support a sinful lifestyle because their child switched? Or because their brother switched or their sister switched? Why? Simple. They got too close. They pitched their tent towards Sodom. And can I tell you, sometimes love is perverse. Let me help you. Because those parents saying, I love my child, that's a perverted form of love when you don't tell somebody they're headed toward destruction. We have in the church today, remember what Jude said, people have infiltrated your pulpits and are telling people it's okay to live immoral lives? We have in churches today entire denominations are splitting in half over Sodom and Gomorrah. Over something that the Bible very plainly tells us how to deal with. But we have this perverted idea, this compromised idea of what compassion is. So the world has convinced a whole lot of so-called believers that the nice thing to do is to indulge people. Whatever their desires are, no matter how perverse, no matter how destructive, no matter how out of sync with God's Word uh, or human nature they are, it's okay, it's okay, God loves you the way you are. So we are faced with a world that has decided to be so virtuous that they refuse to call sin, sin. It's evil. It's a lie from the pit of hell. How can you love somebody and not tell them they're heading toward destruction? How much do you have to hate me to keep a secret that I am going to end up in hell for eternity because you didn't want to hurt my feelings and tell me so? Friend, that's not love. That's not love. But the enemy has infiltrated the deceiver, the liar has infiltrated the church itself and convinced people that our only job is to love. No, our... Our job is to tell the truth in love. And you can be causing the loved ones in your family eternal harm. And you can love somebody so much, trust me, that they hate your guts. <laughs> because they do not want to hear the truth. The kingdom of this world accepted and celebrated what the kingdom of heaven called an abomination. So the king sent a nuclear strike. That's not very tolerant. The second test is will you bow or stand? Welcome to Babylon. If I'm not in trouble yet, here we go. The king rolled a statue out in front of the whole kingdom. Two kings, two kingdoms. And he said, when you hear the music play, you bow down. You are ordered to bow down. And the signal is the tune. And there is more pressure now than ever for you to bow when you hear the message of this kingdom. 
Hear me. They want you to agree. It is no longer okay that we accept that they exist. They now insist you affirm. Not only do you have to say, God loves you. You were created in His image and likeness and He's got a purpose for your life. No, you have to affirm that what they are and who they say they are is okay. And if you don't bow when you hear the message, you'll be canceled. You'll be doxxed. If you mislabel them, if you misgender them, some of you already get internal company emails where you are forced to uh, apply the right gender to people. Use the right pronouns to people. And you're being forced to bow when you hear the tune. But the king of Babylon saw three young boys who refused to bow. Because if you won't stand for something, you'll bow for everything. And every believer in this room is going to have to make a decision. You're either going to stand or you'll bow. Because they will not allow you to stay in the middle anymore. You're going to have to choose which king you're going to be loyal to and what you're willing to bow down to. And the fact is, way too many Christians, way too many believers are way too comfortable. I'm going to say that again. Way too many believers in this world are way too comfortable. The future, can I tell you something? The future is always determined by conviction. Yes, every war in human history has been won by the people with the most convictions. Not necessarily the biggest armies, not necessarily the, the, the greatest uh, uh, warriors or the greatest battle plan, but it's the people who had the greatest conviction. In the last 50 years, a little country called Afghanistan has ran two world powers out. First was the Soviet Union, next was America. Do you want to know how they overcame two world powers? Because they wanted to live there and we didn't. They had conviction. How, how, do you, how do you understand that a ragtag bunch of colonials whooped the greatest army in that generation and beat the Britons and we won this? We didn't beat England. England got tired and went home. They looked around and said, who wants to die for New Jersey? And because we did and they didn't, they got on their boat and went back and said, you can have it. Because every, every war, whether it's cultural war, spiritual war, or physical war, is always won by people who have the most conviction. And right now, conviction is what's missing from our people. Because the people of this kingdom have more conviction about their cause than people of this kingdom does. And they're more committed to their agenda than we are. Right now, there's two wars being fought over borders. There's one in Ukraine being fought. They're trying to defend their border. There's one in Israel being fought, and they're trying to defend their border. And then you got America, we don't have no borders. Now, now what's going to de determine whether you stand or bow is going to be whether you know who you are and whose you are. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood who they belonged to. Therefore, they understood who they were. And they refused to bow to the pressure because they knew that not only would they be bowing to a lesser God, 
to a lesser king. But they knew that as long as they stood, they didn't stand alone. So before you're identified by any other name, before, you, before you're a Democrat or a Republican, before you're a teacher or a construction worker, before you're a native of this country or that place, understand your identity is wrapped up in I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a believer. I am a Christian. That's who I am. I will stand because that's who I am. My identity is hidden in Him. Through my Savior who bought me with a price I could not pay. Now this country has no shame. This, this kingdom has no shame. It's brazing with sin. Puts sin on the forefront. Gives it award shows. Celebrates it for an entire month. They condone you living perversely, sexualizing little children, acting demonic, holding parades that should be, uh, should be done in private. They have no shame. And when somebody like me talks about the stuff going on, you get nervous. Because in the last few years, the majority of people have become afraid to speak out. Because you're afraid of getting canceled, you're afraid of getting doxxed, you're afraid of getting fired... You're afraid of becoming, being called a bigot or some kind of phobe. But God did not give us a spirit of fear. Can I tell you, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Fear literally comes with a demonic spirit attached to it. And if you don't have to look very far in our history to understand that, because in 2020, a whole segment of the entire planet was gripped by a spirit of fear. And when they got afraid, it caused them to do stupid stuff. Stuff that they said they would never do. Self-destructive things because of fear. Now, I'm not going to finish this part of the sermon this morning. I'm going to just get to this next test and then I'll pick up tonight. I intended to go farther, but I've already been at 59 minutes. But since I have tonight, we'll break after this point, and then I'll get the rest of the test tonight. Is that okay? So the next question for the test is, whose voice will you echo? Jonah is minding his own business. And the voice of God speaks to him and tells him, you got to go to this city called Nineveh, and preach because they have not followed me. They have been my enemy. I have a plan, and they have broken my commandments. Two kings, two kingdoms. And you know what happens. You know the story. Jonah says, there ain't no way I'm doing that. Listen, he took for two reasons, really. One was, he looked at Nineveh and said, they don't like me. And I don't like them. They, as a matter of fact, they are my enemy. They're the enemy of my people. They've tried to kill us for years. So God, if you want to send a nuclear strike like you did Sodom and Gomorrah, like I'm okay with that. 
I didn't lose nothing in Nineveh for me to go looking for. So if they all perish, have at it, God. And secondly, the reason Jonah wasn't going was because listen to what God asked of him. I want you to go to Nineveh, a city that hates your guts, by yourself. There's 150,000 people waiting, and I want you to tell them that God's mad at them. They've been misbehaving. Hey, God, how's that going to end up for me? They already don't like me, and now I'm going to come over and start telling them they're going to hell? I'm not doing that. And the Bible says, he decided to go the other direction. This is a good place to stop. I, I didn't intend to stop here. I wanted to go farther. But this is a good place to stop. He went the other way. Jonah refused to say what God told him to say. He refused to say what he was supposed to say. He gets swallowed by a fish. He gets spit up on the shore. But before that, before, because that's the story we all remember. What we all forget was how he got in the water. Because we think it's a simple thing for us to just disobey God and go our own way. Like, why does God care? I'm just one person. So he hot on a boat to go to Tarshish. God sent a storm. How bad of a storm, you ask? Pretty bad. Bad enough that the seasoned captain of the boat and all the mates of the ship was scared the boat was going to sink because the waves began to rise and the wind began to beat against the ship and the entire ship was in danger. Turns out, God's not very happy if He tells you to say something and you refuse to say it. So the storm comes and the waves rise and the wind blows and they come out and say, Who has made God angry? These were seafaring men. They knew this didn't just come out of nowhere. They would have been prepared for a storm that they saw coming. This was the hand of God coming against them. And I can't fight God. In other words, if God wants you to say something and you refuse to say it, you put everybody on your boat at risk. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, teachers, if you hold your tongue out of fear, out of a disjointed loyalty, if you hold your tongue when you're supposed to open up and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, you're not saving anybody. You're putting the whole ship at risk. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. That might turn them off from God. What's ever going to turn them toward God? Except the truth. 
That's a cop out. Jesus even put it like this in the New Testament. He said, you all think I came to bring peace. That's what this generation, this generation has a perverted sense of who Jesus Christ is. That's why we don't like God. We don't like the God of the Old Testament. Don't talk to me about fire and brimstone. Don't talk to me about pestilence and disease and the earth opening up and swallowing. No, 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 no. Tell me about Jesus. Kind Jesus. Loving Jesus. Peaceful Jesus. That's because it's the only, you don't know your Bible. And you think Jesus just loves and loves and loves and loves because you have just saw felt board Jesus from Sunday school. Where he's got a lamb. I don't know why he always had a lamb. I got no idea why there was always a lamb around when he was teaching. And there's always a kid on his lap. And that's the gentle Jesus that everybody wants to remember. And that's one side of Jesus. But there's also table flipping Jesus. And there's also Jesus that looks at his pharisaical critics and said, You think I have come to bring peace? Nothing could be farther from the truth because when I start speaking my word, and he had already seen it because when he started teaching hard, a lot of the people that was following him left him. Everybody didn't follow Jesus' message even in the flesh because they said, that's too hard. He said, I have come to bring a sword. And he knows all about the sword of the word of God that goes out. And he said, When I speak, when my truth comes out, I divide daughters from mothers, sons from fathers, husbands from wives, because you can't serve two kings. You'll have to be loyal to one, and in order to let go or to grab hold of one king, you've got to loose the other one. And all these years of church history, we knew that. And then the climate changed in this kingdom. We didn't want to offend anybody, and we didn't want to run them out of church. And we didn't want to be the people that was getting mean tweeted about. So we shut our lips. And we quit speaking what we knew was the truth. And God help us. Because if there's people that died and went to hell in the shadow of a church steeple because the church said I just want to love them you can't love me and let and not tell me I'm on my way to hell that's not love that's not love if my house is on fire you better let me get out if my car's not safe to drive don't let me drive it if my soul is in danger of an eternal hell, tell me. That's love. But we got Jonas all over the church. That's what Jude said. He said, you got liars that have come in because their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning, has convinced us to just shut our mouths and tell everybody everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. There's a firestorm coming. The seas are going to turn to blood. The sky is going to turn red. People are going to die. You think COVID was something? That was nothing. What's going to happen? There's an eternity of lost people where they're weeping and gnashing of teeth 
begging God to let them out. And God said, you had your chance. You had your chance. You chose the wrong king and loved the wrong kingdom. I wonder how many people under the sound of my voice right now need to make a different decision. I wonder how many in this room need to make the decision to follow the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Is your eternity settled? Friend, I'm asking you. God forbid that I be negligent of my duties if I don't ask you, is your eternity settled? Do you know you're going to heaven? Or are you putting it off? I'm having too much fun in this kingdom. I'll do it later. You're not promised later. You're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not quite sure, you're just not quite sure. I've been between kingdoms here, Pastor. I've been, I love Jesus, but I also love my my fling. I love Jesus, but I love my addiction. I, I love Jesus, but I love my Friday nights. I love Jesus, but I love these things that are in my heart. I, I'm just not sure. You can be sure can be sure. He he loves you with a love that you and I won't ever understand until we get there. Because he looks at all the stuff you've done and says, I love you anyway. I loved you enough to pay for your sins. The consequences don't fall on you if you let them fall on me. You don't have to pay for it if you'll accept my free gift of salvation. So I don't know where your heart is this morning, friend, but I'd love to. I would love to know this morning that every person under the sound of my voice knows where your eternity is I've been in church a long time I didn't ask you that I've been baptized three times didn't ask you that didn't ask you if you was a member of a church all that's irrelevant do you know where you're going when you die because I'm not going to be like Jonah I'm going to tell you heaven is real but so is hell. And hell should be shunned because heaven's already been paid for. And this kingdom is putting a lot of pressure on you and you're going to have to decide which king you're going to be loyal to. Today is the day. You've heard the word. You've heard the truth. You need to decide. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I would hate to walk up in front of them people because they think I'm saved. Listen, the Bible says if you come forward, if you receive Jesus, heaven throws a party. The angels rejoice. And you think I'm going to let the angels out-celebrate me? Oh, no, no. You come to this altar this morning and say, I need to make sure that my last breath here is my first breath in glory. We're going to celebrate with you. Look, one's already come. I don't know what the rest of you are waiting for. I pray that every person in this room knows in their heart 
I'm saved. But if you don't, come up here. One of our prayer partners is going to pray with you. They're going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. They're going, to, they're going to show you what it feels like to be totally convinced. I don't want to take the chance. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I do not want to risk it. If I was unsettled where I sat, I wouldn't sit there any longer. I'd get up here. Don't hunt for me after church. The anointing's here now. You're feeling it now. The drawing is now. You need it now. There's people leaving from all over all over this room coming down here. You're not the only one. You ain't by yourself. Some of the prayer team, some of our more uh, mature uh, ministers, won't you come up here and help pray for some of these that are coming forward? They, they may not even know the words to say. They, they, may be, they may be stumbling and don't know what they need, but they know they need something. Come pray with them. Listen, friend. Eternity is nothing to be unsure about. It's a long time. And Jesus has already given you everything you need to ensure that heaven is your home. I have not been Jonah. I've said what I have to say.